If you brought a Bible, go with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, the book of Isaiah. As we continue our series, Let There Be Light. The Christmas season is a season of light, and while many people do not know the light in our day, there is a great need for light. There is a, a nature in light that is uh, unique, I think, in, in the elements of nature. It's the first thing God created. And light by nature is aggressive. Light takes no prisoners. When you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, instantly the darkness is gone. The light doesn't have to fight with the darkness. There's no struggle. Are you listening to me? When you and I walk in the light, it's not a struggle with darkness. Darkness has to go in the presence of the light. And the coming of Christ to the earth is the fulfillment of that very thing. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 9 verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase your gladness. They shall be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be burned fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Father, we thank you for the light of light, which is Christ Jesus. I pray this morning as we come to your word that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I pray as well that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word with gladness of heart. I ask this in Jesus' name and the church said amen. 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 You may be seated. I want you to focus with me for a few minutes on the sixth verse of this chapter. I want to talk about the coming of Messiah and how he came. And then I want to share with the balance of this message one of the great results of the coming of light into our lives. The Bible says, unto us a child is born. And this refers to the fact that Jesus in his Birth would in fact be a human being. He would come as a man, fully man, in order to represent man. You have to notice that God didn't send an angel to redeem the world. No angel's death would have sufficed 
to redeem man. It had to be a man in order to redeem men. And I just want you to think about this for a second, that you must be in biblical, under the biblical system, in God's economy, you must be related to the thing that you are trying to redeem. In this case, a man must redeem a man. For that reason, the blood of bulls and goats and all of the heifers and doves that were offered up in the Old Testament could not redeem the human race. They could only provide a temporary covering, but they could not redeem man because you must be related to that which you are trying to redeem. I want to mention that in passing that God will often use you to redeem those things you're related to. He'll often use you to redeem that which you came out of. If you came out of the drug culture, He may just well use you to redeem that drug culture. To be a light in that place. If He brought you out of poverty and into prosperity, then He may well use you to redeem people out of poverty and bring them into prosperity. So don't ever discount your past. God can use your past and God can use it to great effect in order to redeem many lives for His name's sake. So don't don't discount what you've been through. God won't waste anything in your life. You might think, you know, those years of my life, they're lost. They're not lost with God. God can use them and make them fruitful in your life. And if you're listening this morning, say amen. Those are the, that is the promise of redemption that God has given to us. That we are able to be agents of light, even in those places that we came out of. And so, unto us a child is born. A man was given. A man was born. He wasn't a a half man, but he was fully man. Sometimes when we think of God, we think of this high deity sitting on a throne so far away no one can reach Him, untouchable, inapproachable, and we think I'll never be able to relate to God. But you see, God is not just God, He is a man. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and He is fully man. He is a man of sorrows, the Bible says, acquainted with grief. He came to the earth in order to know what it's like to be a human being. Did you know that Jesus had to pay taxes too? Did you know that Jesus had to submit to legal authority? Jesus knew what it was like to suffer hunger and thirst. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his friends in the hour of his need. He knew what it was like to lose a loved one and, uh, and even to bury a stepfather at a young age. He knew what it was like to have to go through the difficulty and challenges of human existence. The very voice of creation that said, let there be light came into the earth and became incarnate, became flesh, dwelling among us. And that one who spoke the creation into being had to learn to speak. Mama, Daddy. He had to learn how to walk and talk, how to feed himself, how to be potty trained. He had to learn how to, he had to learn his, his ABCs, or in the case of the Greek, the Alpha and the Omega. He had to learn just like you and I because he was fully a man. The Bible says that this was necessary. The writer of the book of Hebrews says such a high priest was necessary or needful for us. We needed a representative before God. Someone who understood the griefs and sorrows that you and I carry. And he understands them completely, friend. And he knows them altogether well because he became like us. 
But then this, the, the prophet says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son was given. Now he's changed the meaning of the phrase. And he's talking about the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus not only came as a man, but he came also as God. That Jesus Christ is in fact God in human flesh. That Jesus Christ is God among us. He has given us a son. Who is the son? The son is the second person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in Holy Trinity. And in the council of heaven sits the Son of the living God. He came not in order to become God, but He came as God, becoming a man. He condescended. He humbled Himself to the point of becoming a man. He came down to our level. He saw through our eyes, heard through our ears, touched through our hands. He walked through our feet, this the sod of earth, and yet He was fully God. Jesus is so much God as if He were not a man at all, and so much a man as if He were not God. And this is a mystery to us. How can one man have two natures? And yet, this is precisely what it is that occurred in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did He come? He came born of a virgin, ensuring that He would have a perfect humanity, unstained by the sin of Adam. He came as the fulfillment of prophecy, ensuring that we would not be mistaken as to who He was. He came as the very Son of God among men. And He came so that you and I could walk in His light. For you see, friends, when He spoke the light into existence, he wasn't, he wasn't creating light for the first time, but he was creating something that would represent what he already was. That he is the light of life and that he is the light of men. I dare say this morning that Mohammed cannot boast these facts. Buddha cannot boast these facts. Mary cannot boast these facts. Abraham cannot boast these facts. Pope Francis cannot boast these facts. Only Jesus can say he is fully God and fully man. He is our perfect, all-sufficient Savior. And the miracle of Christmas is just that. And then Isaiah gives us four titles to describe him. He says, first of all, he is the wonderful counselor. I want you to think about this. There is a board that sits above all boards. The boardroom of heaven has three seats. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the divine counsel of the Godhead. There is no court above that court. There is no boardroom above that boardroom. They reign in supreme power and authority, absolute sovereignty. They'll never be impeached. They'll never be up for election or up for a vote of confidence. God is God all by Himself. He sits on the throne of glory and the divine counsel of the Godhead is sovereign in its authority. And Jesus is one of those counselors. He is a wonderful counselor. Back in eternity past, there was a council held. The Trinity in, in unity began to discuss the history of this creation that was about to be made. And the Bible tells us that the, the Father asked, Who will go for us? And the Son said, I will go for us. And the Son of God became the one that said, I'll be the missionary from heaven to earth. I'll go down and redeem this lost humanity. You realize, friends, that Jesus was offered up 
as a sacrifice for our sins even before the, the creation of the world. The Bible said that he is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. And friends, if he sits in the council of the Godhead, don't you think you ought to have him come by your house every once in a while and sit in council with you? Don't you think you ought to have him come by on a daily basis so that you can learn from him, so that you can study at his feet, so that you can get his wisdom, insight, and advice? Don't you think that you ought to invite him into your home budget meetings and say, Lord, how do you want us to spend our money? Don't you think you ought to invite him into your courtship and your relationships and say, Lord, how do you want us to live our lives together? Don't you think you ought to invite him into your marriage and say, Lord, how do you want us to live a married life? Don't you think we ought to invite him into this church and say, Jesus, come and be Lord of Kingsway Church. He is the wisdom of God. Wonderful counselor. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus is a teacher. God is a teacher. If there's anybody that has a right to be impatient, it'd be God, wouldn't it? If there's anybody that has a right to say, I'm only going to teach you this once. And if you don't learn it, then too bad. It'd be God that could do that. But you know, God isn't like that. He's patient with us. He's kind. He takes us by the hand. He says, I'm going to teach you this lesson. And if we don't learn the lesson, we'll just repeat the first grade. And there he is again, and he'll teach us again. And if we don't learn it again, he'll teach it to us again. Now, by this point, Pastor Isaac has moved on. But God is slow, and he is patient. And he says, look, we're going to get through this. And then one day, you realize, you know what? He loves me. He loves me so much not to give up on me. He is patient with me. He is a wonderful counselor. He knows how to speak at my level. He knows how to get down to where I am and speak to the very needs of my heart. And then Isaiah said he's not just a wonderful counselor, but he's a mighty God. Mighty God. Think about this. God is so, so mighty, so powerful, that all he did was speak. Let there be light. And there was light. He created the whole universe that you and I know today by the sheer act of speaking. Didn't even raise a finger. All he did was speak. You know, you and I ought to take that reality and tomorrow morning we ought to wake up and say, Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. If, if when you speak, you can create the universe, then speak into my heart and give me peace in the midst of turmoil. Give me grace in the midst of struggle. Give me power in the midst of weakness. The church in here this morning, speak, Lord. We want to hear your voice. If his voice has so much power, you and I ought to be shutting out everything else, putting the whole world on mute just to listen to him. But you know what I find? I find that we have God on mute. We have the whole world speaking into us. We have all this noise coming at us. Sometimes we just need to turn it all off and say, speak, Lord. Because when he speaks, one word from God can change your entire life. You know that? One word from God can change the entire destiny of your life. He's a mighty God. He is not limited in his power. He's omnipotent, meaning he can do all things. Omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all the time. Omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. You know the devil isn't any of that. The devil doesn't know everything. The devil can't be everywhere at once. And the devil doesn't have all power. 
God alone possesses those attributes. That's why when the devil gets in the, in the ring with God, he's all, he's, it's over before it's begun. Because if he's standing in this corner, God's already there. And if he goes over that corner, God's there too. And if he goes over that corner, God's there too. Our God is a mighty God. Our God is a mighty God. He is our strength in the midst of weakness. And then Isaiah says, he is an eternal father. We lost our father this year, my brothers and I. And there's a great void that comes when you lose a father. It's also a great responsibility that falls on your life. If you haven't lost your father yet, then I encourage you to hold on dear to that old man because someday he's going to be gone and you're going to realize ain't nobody left to go to when I get in trouble. It's just me and the world now. And friends, I want you to know that even though it may feel that way, there's something about it that's, that isn't true. Because you see, we have an eternal Father. We have a heavenly Father. Jesus said when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Aren't you glad He didn't say our eternal boss? Our eternal master. Aren't you glad He didn't say, oh, eternal deity? No, He said our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said he was teaching us to have such confidence with God, the kind of confidence you have in your daddy's house. You know, when, you have your, when you're in your daddy's house, you can walk into the refrigerator and just eat anything you want because you're in daddy's house. There's confidence there. You know that he worked all week long so that you could have what you wanted and what you needed, friend. You and I can come into our Father's house and open the refrigerator. The Bible says, come boldly with confidence into the throne of grace. He is our eternal Father. He is not far away, but He is near, and He wants us to know Him as our dad. Did you know that? God wants you to know Him as your dad. Now, let me just clarify something here. Not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody can call God Father. Many people pray the Lord's Prayer, and God isn't their Father. You say, Pastor, I don't understand that. You see, the only way God will be your father is if Jesus is your Savior. You see, you have to be adopted into his family in order to be able to call him dad. In order to be able to call him father, you have to be adopted into the family of God. And this comes by the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Christ and you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Fourth title, he calls him the Prince of Peace. He's saying this This Messiah, when he comes, will be a ruler. And the rule and reign of his his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. You know, the world has tried to find peace and can't find it. And someday a man is going to rise up in world history. He's going to offer the world peace in exchange for their worship. And they're going to bow at the feet of the Antichrist. And even he won't be able to offer the world peace. Shortly after he comes, there is one coming who is greater than all. He is the son of the living God. He's going to come with power and great glory. And he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And there will be no end to his government or of his peace. He is the prince of peace. You say, Pastor, why do I need peace? I'll tell you why. Because you were born, I was born, in a state of hostility with God. When you and I were born, we were born at war with God. And so we need terms of peace with God. And the only place to find peace with God 
is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you noticing a pattern here? The only place to find wisdom, Jesus. The only place to have a, a, a power is Jesus. The only place to have a father is Jesus. The only place to have peace is Jesus. I hope you're noticing the pattern. Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is the solution to the world's need this morning. But I want you to focus with me now on what is the result of his coming. Because you notice there, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3. It says, you shall multiply the nation, and they shall be glad in your presence. You know, when the light comes, one of the results of light is joy. One of the results of light coming into your life is joy. Now, there is a great need for joy. In our day, when we celebrate Christmas, you see joy all over the place. Sometimes people don't even have joy, but they have a sweater that says joy. (laughs) Grumpy as a bulldog, but they have joy. They don't even know what they're talking about. But when the light comes, there's an increase of joy. Look at your neighbor and just check if they have some joy. Okay, this is not an altar call, just do a little check. Joy is the natural product of being in the light. Tell your neighbor, walk in the light and you will have joy. Now, last week, we dealt with some things, didn't we? No? Last week, we dealt with some things, didn't we? All right. Did you leave here with some joy? Didn't it feel good to get clean? Well, you know what? The first thing I want you to know about about joy is that There's joy in God's presence. When you come into God's house, there's joy. Now, there's a great difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Joy is on the inside. It doesn't depend on external circumstances. Many times, we get happy because of the things we have or don't have. If somebody does like I want them to do, I'm happy. If they don't do like I want them to do, I'm unhappy. Sound like anybody here? If if I get the things I want, I'm happy. If I don't get the things I want, I'm unhappy. And happiness depends on circumstances. Do I get a vacation? I'm happy. No vacation? I'm unhappy. I got got a a raise? I'm happy. I have no raise. I'm I'm not happy. I got my paycheck. I'm happy. I spent it all. I'm unhappy. And and you guys don't think I know you, but I know you because when, when payday has been near, in the last few days, you guys are smiling, you're, you're just bubbly, everything is great, God bless you, praise the Lord, how are you, pastor? But when the money's gone, it's like, help me, Jesus, I just need your help this week. But you see, that's happiness. Happiness is like a thermometer. It just comes up and down, up and down, based on circumstances. But joy is like a thermostat. It sets the temperature. Joy is something that's on the inside. Some of you are like a thermometer. Happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. God doesn't want you to be like a thermometer. He wants the the thermostat of the Spirit to set your life on joy and keep it there. That is God's will for your life. He wants you to be increasing in joy. Happiness is like makeup. <laughs> Joy is like character. 
It's on the inside. Makeup can address the outside. There is actually a contest to see who could smile the longest. And a little girl won the contest. She smiled for 10 hours. Just try it for a second. Just smile for the rest of the sermon. Just smile. You can't do it, can you? 10 hours, that's a long time to smile. But you know what happened after 10 hours? Stop smiling. Because you can only keep it up for so long. But joy comes from inside. It doesn't depend upon what's happening to me. Joy isn't a feeling. Joy is a possession. I don't have to feel joy. I have joy. Joy is our possession as children of God. And when you and I are walking in the light, we're walking in joy. So I want to give you a recipe. I know you guys are going to make some cookies this week. So I just want to add another recipe to your, to your list here. And I want to give you a recipe for joy. Do you want it? All right. Those of you who don't want it, just take it anyway because you probably need it more than the ones who want it. Okay. So number one, if you want to have joy in your life, joy comes through clean living. It's quiet in here this morning. Joy comes through a clean life. When you and I have a clean life, we have joy. Why? Because we don't have to look over our shoulder. See who's watching us. See who's checking up on us. Who's investigating us. When we live a clean life, there's joy. The Bible says that he who walks in integrity walks securely. When you walk in integrity, you live a clean life, there's no there's no, nothing to upset your, your joy. But when you are not living a clean life, friend, there's all sorts of un, uh, uh, unpleasantness in your spirit. And I'll tell you this. The Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 5 of Romans, our joy comes from being justified by the grace of God. You know what justification means? It means that we have been declared righteous by God. We have been declared clean. God has wiped the slate clean on our life, and we have been made right before God. That's where true joy comes from. It comes from knowing that there is nothing between me and my Savior. There is nothing between me and God because he has wiped the slate clean. You say, preacher, how can I get to know that kind of joy? I'll tell you how. The Bible says that if you will confess your sin to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. That is God's absolute a promise to you that if you and I will confess our sin to him, however dirty it may be, however bad it may be, however disgusting it may be, if we will confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. How many of you have a, a car note? Nobody. Good. You guys are awesome. How many of you have a mortgage? Nobody wants to raise your hand, but just say amen in your heart, all right? What would, what would you feel like tomorrow if you got a letter that said all of your car note and your mortgage has been paid off? Is that all? Well, you know what? You have a debt with God that's far greater than any mortgage. We have a sin debt with God. And Jesus at the cross 
made provision to wipe the slate clean and to make us in right standing with God. So the day you gave your life to Christ, you got a note that said, you have been forgiven of all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. It's under the blood. It's covered. It's been paid in full. How do you react to that? Come on, how do you react to justification? Yes, pastor, that's awesome. You know what's happened? Many of you have forgotten what it was like. What you got forgiven from. When you bring it to mind and you see what God has done in your life, joy comes in knowing, I have a clean slate with God. When God looks at me, He doesn't look at me with anger and disdain, but He looks at me with with joy because I am His son. I've been adopted and brought into His family by grace. And friend, when you walk in the clean life of, of heaven, there is joy. But you know what will steal your joy? Sin will rob you of your joy. Almost nothing in the world can rob you of your joy like sin. You can get a diagnosis of cancer. It won't take your joy if you have true joy. You can get a diagnosis of a foreclosure. It won't take your joy, even though that may be, uh, that may be what's going on. But when you sin against God, sin will rob you of your joy. The psalmist David, king of Israel, he sinned against God. He committed adultery. And, and then he committed murder to try to cover up the adultery. Then the Bible says, then in a moment of repentance, and in Psalm 51, he went to the Lord and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but give me a willing spirit. And he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He understood that what he had lost was his joy, and it could be regained by simply repenting and coming back to God. That's why, friend, when you have lost your joy in sin, you ought to run to the altar and receive remission and forgiveness for your sin. For God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The Bible said that He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to receive those who will repent of their sin. And He wants to restore your joy if you've lost it. And if you don't know the joy of God, today I'll tell you, come to Jesus. Let Him wipe that slate clean and give you a fresh start. You don't have to wait till New Year's to get a fresh start. You can have a fresh start this morning, this second. If you'll just open up your heart to Christ, He'll come in and He'll make His residence in your heart. You know what the we used to sing as children, an old song. It said, there's a flag flown high in the castle of my heart. Joy is the flag flown high in the castle of my heart because the King is in residence there. When the king is in your heart, the flag of joy is flapping in the wind. When the king is not in residence in your heart, it's not, it's not possible to have true joy. Second part of the recipe is that joy only comes in relationship with God. Because joy comes from God. Here's the thing. God won't let you have joy in your car. He won't let you have joy in your house. He won't let you have joy in your, in your relationships. There's only one place that He will allow you to have joy, and that's in Him. Are you hearing me? You think, if I get married, I'll be happy. If I could get that job, I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. 
Friend, if you don't have joy now, no job can get it for you and no marriage can do it for you. The joy that comes only comes from God. And nothing in the world you can do can replace that. God won't let it work any other way because he wants you to know him. And in knowing him, to know full joy. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. He wants you to have full joy as you walk in communion with him. You know, one of the things we struggle most with in the American culture is spending time with God. Quality time. We struggle with that. We often wait until uh, there's just a little bit of time left in the day to spend with God. And we wonder why we're grumpy and, and frustrated and unhappy and upset. I'll tell you why. Because if we're not walking with Him, we can't enjoy His presence. The Bible says that in His presence is the fullness of joy. When you are in His presence, joy is there. That's why sometimes you come to church discouraged, mad at your husband, upset, frustrated. You come in just, uh, just downcast, and then you start worshiping God. And the presence of the Lord fills your heart. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're in a place of joy. Your heart's been restored. You walk out and forget everything that you had going on before. Why? Because in His presence, there is joy. In His presence, there is life and pleasure forevermore. And so, if you want to have His joy, you need to walk with Him. Get near to Him. You say, Pastor, I don't even begin to know how to do that. I don't even know how to, how to get close to God. Is that even possible? I'll tell you, friend, it's absolutely possible. When you wake up in the morning, just invite Him into your life. Make time for Him at that beginning of the day to say, Lord, speak to me through Your Word. Speak to me in prayer. Speak to me in worship. I need to commune with You. I need to spend time with You. And what a sweet hour of prayer it is. The old gospel song says that walking with Jesus is sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Why is that? Because every day with Jesus you get to know Him better. And every day with Jesus you discover something new about Him. And that sweetness comes as you walk in the joy of the Lord and walk in the communion of His presence. But you see, friend, I can't do that for you. You have to take the hand of your Father and walk in boldly to the throne room of grace. You can go into His presence while you're driving. I wouldn't recommend it if you're very Pentecostal, but it, it, might, it might just be that when you're driving to work, you need to say, Lord, come visit me right now. I, I'm about to go into that job, and I, I, I know there's negative influences in there. There's a lot of stress in there. There's a lot of things going on. I just need your joy, the joy of your presence. Can I recommend something to you? After you've had a stressful day, and, and everything's gone wrong, you're about to walk in the house, don't walk in the house just yet. All right, you sit in that car, and you worship God for a little bit, and you say, Lord, let your joy fill my heart, because I'm about to go see my darling wife, and I don't want her to hear all the grief that I spent with all day. I want to walk in with a renewed spirit. I want to walk in with a renewed attitude. Are, are the men listening this morning? And, and when you walk into that house renewed by the presence of God, things are going to be different. Because you have spent some time in the presence of the Lord. Can I recommend something else? Turn off the TV and get into the presence of the Lord. NFL can't give you joy. The, the, the Home Shopping Network can't give you joy. ESPN can't give you joy. Jesus alone can give you joy. And spending time in His presence is vital to that. One more. The Bible tells us that there is joy 
when we follow God's instructions. Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was in, was, was in me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. You know what Jeremiah discovered? When I obey God, joy follows. When I disobey God, joy leaves. But when I obey God, joy comes right in to my life. Do you want to enjoy the joy of the Lord? Obey God. Follow His instructions. You realize that Christmas is a story. The Christmas story is a story of people who knew how to follow instructions. Are you good at following instructions? All right, we're going to have to work on that because I could, I could see it in your face. You're not, you don't like following instructions. You're like me. You're going you're gonna to build a bookshelf. First thing you see is a little book that gives you all the instructions. I don't know what they put that in there for. And, and you just go about it your own way, right? Because we like to do it ourselves. But the Christmas story is a story of people who got divine instructions and they followed him, followed them. An angel came to Mary, a young maiden, and said, you're, you're pregnant now. And you're going to have the Son of God. And now she had a problem on her hands. She was out of wedlock and she had never been with a man. No one would believe this story. She had a controversy on her hands. But she had a divine instruction and she obeyed God. She said, do with me as you please. Be it done unto me as you have spoken. The Bible says in Luke 2 that when she began to sing that Magnificat, she said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She had all kinds of problems now, but she had the joy of the Lord. She had a controversy, but she had the joy of the Lord. She had a scandal forever staining her name, but she had the joy of the Lord. Why? Because she had followed the instructions of God. She had done just as God had commanded. And friends, in this coming year, the Lord has already told us, we must increase our capacity to obey His instructions, to do what He says. And let me tell you, friend, there is joy in doing what He says. I began to follow the Lord as a child. He called me to preach as a little boy. And at the age of seven, I preached my first sermon in a church. That's been several years now. 34 now, and I can tell you this. I have walked in the halls of, of, of the capital of the United States. I have worked with men of great renown. The office of the majority leader. I have met speakers and, and representatives. I have met ambassadors. I have sat among the most powerful men of our nation. But there is no joy that I have known greater than standing in the pulpit of this church proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves and that He is God in flesh. There is joy in obeying Jesus. There is joy in following divine instructions. Divine instructions may not always be easy. They may not always feel right. Divine instructions may not even guarantee that everything goes the way you planned it. They will ensure your joy when you do it God's way, when you obey God. I find that so many times if we will just correct our capacity to obey Him, we'll find His joy. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm, he, in Psalm 43, verse 3. He says, send out your light and your truth. 
Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God and to the God of my exceeding joy. You see what David said there? He said, Lord, lead me to the altar. Lead me to the altar of God. The God of my exceeding joy. This morning I want to encourage you to come into this altar. To the altar of God. To the God of your exceeding joy. And say to him, Lord, give me a clean life. If you don't have a clean life this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm going through the nighttime right now. I'm going through a hard season. Let me tell you, friend, weeping might endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Joy comes to the people of God, and it is ever increasing. Come to the altar, to the holy hill, to the altar of God, our exceeding joy. The atheist, Voltaire, when he died, he died an unbeliever. He said, I wish I had never been born. Doesn't sound like unbelief can bring you much joy, does it? Lord Byron lived his life for pleasure in England. And at the end of his life, he said, The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Doesn't sound like pleasures can bring you much joy. Jay Gould, one of America's millionaires, when he was dying, said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on the earth. Doesn't sound like money can bring you much joy. The most famous man in England said, Youth is a mistake. Manhood is a struggle. Old age is regret. Doesn't sound like position and fame can bring you much joy. Alexander the Great, the great conqueror of the world, when he had conquered the last place known to man, he ran into his tent and began to weep. When they found him, they found him saying, There is no more world to conquer. He had just conquered the whole world and was still as sad as the day he had begun because even conquest and military victory cannot ensure your joy. I have read in the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation the account of men and women who have found their joy in God. And I'll stand here and add my voice to them and say that the joy of the Lord is my strength, that walking with God is exceeding and great joy. And that you can know that joy by walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would stand with me please and bow your heads. I want to ask you to bow your head with me in prayer. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. You say, Pastor, I don't know the joy of being forgiven. I don't know the joy of new life in Christ. Religion can't do it for you, friend. Only Jesus Christ can do it as He justifies and cleanses you, makes you right before God. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to respond to an invitation this morning. And if there's anyone in the hearing of my voice that would say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to know the joy of being forgiven. And this morning will be your opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning. Because you give us an opportunity as your children to come into your house of worship. I believe there are some this morning who don't know the joy of being forgiven. They don't know the joy of the Father's house. 
They don't know the joy of walking with God. And I pray that they would come today to the understanding that they need the light in their life. That that light can lead them to joy and to peace. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring conviction of sin, of wrath and of judgment this morning. Where there is a lost heart that they might be found in you today. That they might come with full assurance that you will not reject them or turn them away. Now it's your turn, friend. If you say, Pastor Isaac, I've never known the joy of being forgiven. I want to know what it's like to know Jesus. I want you just where you are to raise your hand if that's you. You say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. I want to walk in the light of His love. I want to obey Him and trust Him. If that's you, just lift your hand. This is your opportunity. This is your moment to say yes to Christ. How long will you walk in the darkness? Today He is the light of life. He calls out.